Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. Let's turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 18. 2 Samuel chapter number 18. And it's good to be in church today. I had a, a great lesson in Sunday school, great message this morning, and uh, I don't know what it'll be tonight, and, uh, but um, had a good time on the camping trip last night, and, or Friday night. Um, I did have a little curveball thrown at me, and I learned a val- valuable lesson uh, on Friday night slash Saturday morning that it's not good to take a little boy and uh, give him Doritos. He didn't want his hot dog, but he ate his Doritos, he ate a couple marshmallows, couple pieces of chocolate, and then down to a can of, of Sprite. And uh, then they go off running around. It's, it's about like taking a Mento and dropping it into a two-liter. And uh, so um, one o'clock on Saturday, early Saturday morning, I uh, had finally fallen asleep. Um, and then I wake up, and I hear him moaning and groaning over there. And out it comes, uh, all into his sleeping bag. And um, so we had a real, real exciting uh, time uh, on Friday night, early Saturday morning. And uh, so, but I did learn a lesson. I know what not to do next year, and I think I'll be bringing a bucket with me as well. And, um, <clears throat> but, and then the devil showed up on Saturday morning, and he was offering his, uh, his meat, and um, uh, Brother Whitman was out passing around this stuff called Scrapple. And um, I, I, he, he described it as, it's crispy on the outside and creamy on the inside. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't eat uh, meat that's been offered to idols, and, um, but... <laughs> Uh, when I hear a description of meat like that, that's not my idea of, uh, of a good snack there. And, um, but you knew, you knew you were going to get messed with, right? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, but uh, it was a good time, and uh, we enjoyed it. But uh, it's good to be in church. And uh, I was reading this uh, article a while back, and a churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper, and he complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and in that time I have heard something like 3,000 sermons, but for the life of me I can't remember a single one of them, so I think I'm wasting my time and the preachers are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. This started real controversy in the, uh, the letters to the editor column, much to the delight of the editor. It went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I've been married for 30 years now, and that time my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. And uh, I don't know about you, we hear a lot of preaching all the time. We're reminded of a lot of truths all the time uh, to the point to where maybe we don't even remember a lot of what we hear. Uh, but we never should underestimate and neglect the importance of church. And so uh, I trust that today will be no different, tonight will be no different. Second uh, Samuel chapter number 18, the Bible says in verse number 1, the Bible says, And David numbered the people that were with him, and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, And a third part under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succor us, which means assist and support, 
out of the city. You see, David learned his lesson. Uh, Bathsheba took place before this instance, and he, he learned his lesson. He said, I will surely go forth uh, with you myself also. But we know they said, you're more important to us, David, uh, staying out of this battle. This is Absalom battling his dad. And the king said unto them, verse 4, what seemeth you best I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David, and there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. Verse number 8. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. I want, you to, read, uh, I want to read verse 8 again. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. For a couple of minutes this evening, I want to bring a truth uh, out of verse number 8 as my text verse. I want to bring a message entitled this, The sword destroyed many, but the sticks destroyed the most. The sword destroyed many, but the sticks destroyed the most. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to come to church. Lord, I pray that you'll give me uh, your power as I preach. Help me to be a blessing. Help me to be a challenge. Help me to be an encouragement uh, to each and every one of us here this evening. Uh, Lord, the Bible's full of truths, and we find one here tucked away in verse number 8, Lord. Uh, that we'd be wise to heed in our own lives here this evening. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that's not for sure they're going to heaven, I pray they'll get that settled before they leave. Lord, stir the, the Christians here, help us to do what we ought to do, and help us be mindful of what we ought to be mindful of here today. Be with Pastor, keep him safe as he's away, bring him back safely in Jesus' name, amen. The sword destroyed many, but the sticks destroyed the most. Now, I read verse 8, much like you read verse 8 in uh, sometimes, you know, we read some passages in Scripture and we, we say, is that for real? I mean, we think about swords and battles back in the day, and uh, the sword was a, was a primary weapon of battle, and no doubt many men were slain by the sword. But we read the Bible, and it talks about the wood uh, devouring more people than the sword did that day. And sometimes we read the Bible and say, uh, can that be for real? I believe the Bible's literal. I believe God's literal. And if he said it, uh, it's, to be, it's to be interpreted literally. God's not saying, hey, this is just a, a picture. That didn't really happen. Uh, God literally said the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. I mean, think about it. How did Absalom get caught? He had his long hair. He was a rebel. He had his long hair growing, and uh, he got caught in the tree and died in that tree. Now, if there was one rebel leading a group of rebels, I'm sure they all had long hair. I'm guessing they all got caught in the trees. Uh, but we find here the Bible says that they started out battling in the plain. And as the battle went, of course, David's forces began to overpower Absalom's forces, so they retreated into the woods. They thought, for sure, we'll find some cover. For sure, we'll find some safety in the woods. We're getting massacred out here in the, in the plain, and so let's go into the woods and uh, let's, uh, let's try to even out the odds here. Well, we find here that as they ran into the woods, God had something waiting for them. There were some trees in there. There was a forest full of trees that, as God puts it, the trees were more deadly to them than the sword. And uh, I want to bring this message. The sword destroyed many, but the sticks 
destroyed the most. You know, life is a constant war. All throughout life, it seems as if we go from one battle straight into the arms of another battle. But there is something that needs to be remembered and remembered often while in the heat of each and every battle. Uh, It is not always the sword that destroys you and claims you as yet another casualty. You see, there are, out in the sticks, there's trees that, if you are not on guard and alert, will knock you down and destroy you just as easily as a sword can. You see, the sword tends to get our focus. We're all focused on the main weapon. We're all focused on what we would call the, 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 the big weapon. But, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be focused on the sword. But if I could paint a picture here, the sword represents the big threats that we encounter in this war that we wage in life. What we would call the big seductions and temptations. What we would call the, the big sins and the big trespasses. While the sticks, the the little trees, those trees that are so insignificant, would represent the little threats that we encounter in this war that we wage in life. The little seductions and the temptations, the little sins and the trespasses. And let me say in passing that there is no little or big threats in life. They're all big. There's no such thing as a little sin. There's no such thing as a little temptation. There's no such thing as, oh, that's not that big of a deal. They're all big threats. But for sake of illustration, I want you to think about this. We as human beings are always focused on the sword. We as human beings are always focused on what we would classify as the big sins, the big temptations, the big seductions, the big trespasses that God says. We know drinking's bad. We know drinking's wrong. Wine's a mocker. Strong drink is raging. We know that. We know immorality is wrong. We know fornication is wrong. We know all that goes along with that is wrong. We've got our guard up. We're watching out for the sword. We know that drugs are wrong. We know what it does. Man, I remember a couple years back when Clay County passed that legalized marijuana bill, and then all of a sudden all those those little uh, pharmacies popped up everywhere. You know, that wasn't a good thing. Uh, That wasn't an advancement forward for our county. Uh, But, you know, we know the drugs are wrong. We know all these things are wrong. But it's the little things that get us. You see, we've got our guard against the sword. Uh, we're, we're, we're watching out for the sword. Absalom knew the danger of the sword. He said, hey, I've got to get out of this plane. Those, the swords are destroying me. He said, I'll get into the woods. There, there's not so much of a danger back there. And what he failed to realize was there were some trees in that woods. There were some trees there that were waiting on him that were going to do far more danger and far more damage to him than any sword ever would. You see, let me say again, there is no such thing as little or big threats in life. They're all big. Uh, back in 2008, uh, I was, this is dating my age. I'm about to turn 36. Man, uh, I, I remember when my parents were 36, and I was like, man, they're so old. I was 14 at the time, and now I'm that age. And uh, I'm reminded of my age, even after this championship, I really didn't do a whole lot of physical activity. And uh, my, you know, my God-given cushion is sore for no reason. I don't know why, other than maybe sleeping on the ground. And um, you know, but I'm reminded of my age. Uh, back in 08, uh, I was teaching fourth grade uh, boys uh, Sunday school, and I was a, a junior or senior in college at the time. And um, I, I, we had an activity, and I, that was the class of Christian, and um, let's see, who else was it? John Mark, and there were several others uh, that were there. And um, we, we were going to have an activity. And so uh, I said, we're going to go play some football. I'll take you guys out to McDonald's afterwards, and then we'll take you home. And so we went, we played some football, went to McDonald's, and then I started dropping them all off that, uh, that came to the activity, and uh, John Mark happened to be the last one. And uh, Brother Corazon, where are you at? 
I don't know if you remember, he used to live off of Old Jennings, way down there. And strangest thing, he lived in a subdivision, but his house was in the woods somehow. He had like trees everywhere, and it's in a subdivision, and a perfect property there. And uh, so I pull in, and um, I'm, you know, I instantly thought, I was like, wow, this is different. And um, so I pull in, I'm, you know, I'm watching, there's trees in there. And I pull up, drop John Mark off, and uh, so throw it in reverse. I'm looking, I see the big trees, you know, I'm backing up, like, almost clipped one, but I missed it. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, Phew, that was close. And it literally, as soon as I thought that, bam, you know, <laughs> I hit this little skinny, uh, I don't even know what kind of tree it was, but it was tiny, it was, it was thin, uh, and I, I couldn't believe it. I, I put my car in park, I get out, I walk around. And, uh, you know, it didn't look like a whole lot of damage, but my taillight was smashed, my bumper was pushed in, my, uh, my uh, trunk was kind of dented up and in a little bit. And uh, I didn't think a whole lot of it. I was like, eh, it's not that bad. I mean, I wasn't happy uh, about it, but took it down to the body shop, and they told me $2,000 worth of damage. And mind you, that's $2,008, not $2,022. Uh, that was, in nowadays, it'd probably be four or $5,000 worth of damage. And I'm like, are you kidding me? $2,000 for hitting a little tree like that? But I want to remind you of this. Damage is damage. Destruction is destruction. It doesn't matter if it's by a sword. It doesn't matter if it's by a tree. It doesn't matter if it's by a little sin. It doesn't matter if it's by a big sin. In God's eyes, you know what? Uh, we better be more on guard uh, against just sin in general instead of sitting here and saying, hey, well, I, I, devil knows I'm not going to get fallen by alcohol. Devil knows I'm not going to fall by immorality. But we don't keep our guard up against the little things in life. I'm reminded of Israel's tragic defeat at Ai. Ai was little. And so Joshua sent out a little army of 3,000 men. He said, what's the big deal? It's Ai. It's, it's a small town. It's a little city. I'll send out a little army of 3,000. But little did he know that Achan had committed a little sin. Oh, I'll just take a couple gold bars over here, and I'll take a silver bar over here, and I'll take this goodly garment here. And uh, little did a uh, Joshua know that Achan had committed the little sin of disobedience to God, and they suffered a great defeat because of it. Hey, friendly, reminds you here that uh, they were completely focused on the big and not equally on the little. Now, we would look at the situation and say, what's the big deal? I mean, it's a, a little, one man's disobedience caused a, a massacre on the battlefield. Are you kidding me? Well, let's be reminded here, God does not classify sin like you and I do. God looks at disobedience. God looks at that as rebellion. God looks at that as witchcraft. And God says, hey, there is no big sin. There's no little sin. We need to look at all of it and say, I'm on guard. I've got to protect myself. I've got to be on guard against it. And once they took care of the little, God gave the victory. You know, God is interested in the little just as much as the big. In fact, God stresses the little over the big, perhaps because he knows that we always focus on the big, don't we? We're always like, oh, man, that coworker's offering me out, uh, to take me uh, to a party or something. I I'm not going to do that. There's beer there. There's alcohol there. I ain't doing that. But then that will come along and use somebody else or something else to slip something into you. And we're focused on the big, and God knows that. And so perhaps that's why God focuses so much on the little it was the little city of Ai that God used to bring the focus, the little sin of Achan. When God dealt with King Saul through the prophet Samuel, he said, when thou wast little in thine own sight. God condemns a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of sleep. 
God warns about a little folly sending forth a stinking savor. God warns about the little foxes spoiling the vineyard. God warns that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. God warns how great a matter a little fire kindleth regarding the tongue. You see, to God, in God's eyes, the little is just as important as the big. The insignificant is just as significant uh, as the big. And we've got to get away from this thing of, oh, I don't have to worry about this because I've got that under control. Or I don't struggle with that. Or that's not a temptation to me. Hey, if you're human, just like I'm human, everything's a temptation to us. I can just as easily fall into alcohol. I can just as easily fall into immorality. I can just as easily fall into drugs, just like anybody else. And you know what? Too often we're going around like Absalom. He's like, hey, I better get out of the the field here. The swords are swinging, and uh, those things are going to kill us. They're massacring us. Let's get into the trees and find some cover. And he got nailed. He got destroyed by the trees. I like what uh, that that great Chinese general, General, uh, Sun Tzu, made this statement. He said, He will win who knows how to handle both superior and inferior foes. Don't we see that going on? I mean, it's basketball season, March Madness. And uh, the the best teams, they know how to play at a great level, whether it's a bad team or a good team. Whether it is a one seed or a 16 seed, they play their best the entire time. And you know, that's how we ought to look at it as a Christian. Hey, I don't care if it's the sin of lying or the sin of, uh, of alcohol. I don't care if it's the sin of uh, gossip or the sin of uh, immorality or whatever you want to put. I'm going to look at it all as equally bad as God says. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to watch out for it all. And so I want to bring this, these truths here. I want to point out four trees here. You know, you see in the sticks, I'm trying to, put, I'm trying to use some southern lingo. I'm from the north. And we have to deal with this all the time. You, you know, every time, man, they're always like, oh, you Yankees, you know, yeah, this and that. You Yankees, you don't understand good food. You don't understand that. And I'm like, I understand good food. I mean, I didn't eat scrapple. I, that's not good stuff there. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I understand good food. But, you know, uh, so I'm trying to use some southern ling- lingo here. In the sticks, there's some trees that you must watch out for and be on guard against because, you know what, they can knock you off in your life, and they can destroy you just as much as a sword will. And I want to point out four trees here that you got to watch out for. Number one, the tree of complacency. The tree of complacency. Uh, I won't take the time to turn there, but Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, the Bible talks about how uh, the word has been passed that the Jews are to be killed. Uh, Haman has worked his evil plan, and uh, Mordecai comes to Esther. She's the, the queen, but mind you, she's a Jew. And uh, he comes and he tells her what's going on. And, he's, and uh, I don't know the exact conversation because God doesn't go in depth completely. But I do know this. Mordecai says, Esther, don't think for one moment that just because you're queen, you're still a Jew. Don't think for one moment that because you've arrived at the, perhaps the second greatest position in the land that you don't have to worry about what's going on. He said, don't think for one moment that your position and your uh, power is going to keep you from facing the sword. And no doubt, Esther had a decision to make. You know, she could have taken that position and said, I don't have to worry about this. I'm the queen. The king isn't going to kill his own queen. I don't care if I'm a Jew. She could have had that view. She could have gotten complacent. But we know that she did not. And she 
threw her own neck on the line, and uh, she got her own skin in the game, so to speak. Why? Because she realized that, you know what? This isn't a time to be complacent. This isn't a time to say, you know what? I've done my best. I've done my part. Now, it's someone else's job. No, that was, for her. That was her time. She was put in that position for that time, and it was her moment. And she, it wasn't a time for complacency. Now, think about this, Christian. God's put us here in this time, in this place as a church. No doubt we have many elderly in this church that have put their time and efforts into this church and this work, and, uh, and we're thankful for that. No doubt we have uh, some older adults, not quite to the elderly age, but they've done some work and put some work into it and made the sacrifices, and we're thankful for that. Uh, we have middle-aged people, which I don't consider myself middle-aged, but I guess I am uh, about to be 36, but we have some middle-aged folks here and that we know we, ha- we are making the sacrifice and we're putting in the effort, we're putting in the work. We've got young people that are looking to all of us and uh, their, their, their time is coming, uh, their chance is coming. This is not a time for complacency. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how old you've gotten. I don't care whether you say, well, my time's done. I've, I put in the work and I put in the effort. This is not the time for complacency. You see, the tree of complacency destroys a lot of Christians. The tree of complacency destroys a lot of churches. Complacency is smugness with oneself or one's achievements. I, I, I've done enough. Uh, I, I've, I've played my part. I don't have to do that no more. I'm the exception to this. I, I'm above that. That's not my problem. Those are all statements that are made by people who are complacent. And you know what? We cannot get, I, I'm not saying that the elderly have to be out. Uh, they put their blood, sweat, and tears. I'm not saying they have to put forth the same exact effort they used to because their strength limits them. But we can never get to the point where we get to the place where we are complacent in our life for God and our service for God. And what are we doing? What are we doing with our life if we get to a place where we are complacent? And so you see, we're, look, we're, we're, we're like Absalom. We're watching out for the sword. The devil comes along. He's swiping that sword. And he's, he's got the, what we call alcohol. And he's, he's going around and we're like, oh, whoa, watch out for him. He's coming. Uh, we know how to stay away from that. We, we come swinging with the immorality. He comes swinging with the fornication. He comes swinging with the drugs and all of this different stuff. And we're, we're watching out for all that. But then he says, oh, you know what? I'm going to try something different. There's a tree of complacency. And, oh, they're watching out for the sword, and he gets us complacent. And we're not even looking out for that tree. Remember when I was backing my car up? I was focused on the big, that big tree. Didn't see that little twig of a tree. And you know what? Damage is damage, whether I hit the big one or the little one. And you know, you got to watch out for that tree of complacency. Hey, far often we've got, we, we've got so many Christians all across America. Why is America the way it is? Because Christians have been taken out by the tree of complacency. Christians have gotten taken out uh, by their apathy. Christians have gotten taken out uh, by this attitude of, I'm content and I'm satisfied with what I've done or what I've become, and I have no desire to keep on growing for God. I have no desire to keep going for God. And they've been taken out by the tree of complacency. That leads into my second, the second tree I want us to notice here that is, is just as deadly as alcohol. And sometimes it's more deadly to a Christian than alcohol. It's just as deadly to a Christian uh, as adultery and fornication, if not more deadly the tree of carelessness. The tree of carelessness. You know, first of all, under this, the carelessness for the hopeless. 
Carelessness for the hopeless. Psalm 124, the Bible says over there, I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. What a sad verse. What a sad truth that this man, this psalmist, he pens, and he, no doubt he's going through something, uh, but he, he looks around and no man cared for his soul. I wonder uh, how many lost people in this world, they're, they're hurting, they're hopeless, they have no hope. We take it for granted. We have hope. We have the gospel. We've been saved from hell. We've been saved from our sins. We're not hopeless, and we forget about it sometimes, what it's like to be hopeless. And people, no doubt, they're looking. They're looking for answers. They, they look to this religion. They can't find it. They look to the bottle. They can't find it. They look to drugs and shooting themselves up. They can't find it. They're looking to everywhere. They're looking to money. They're looking to government. They're looking everywhere for help and hope, and they cannot find it. No man cared for, notice what the psalmist penned, for my soul. He wasn't caring about his body. He was caring for his soul. He knew that, hey, anybody can provide for the body, but only one can provide for the soul. And uh, carelessness for the hopeless. I, I was reading this story a while back, and I don't know how many of you have heard of uh, Alexander Duff. Uh, he was a missionary to India uh, back in the 1800s. And um, Alexander Duff, he uh, returned to Scotland to die. And as he stood before the General Assembly of future missionaries and all that, he made his appeal, but there was no response. In the midst of his appeal, he fainted and was carried off the platform. The doctor bent over him and examined his heart. Presently, he opened his eyes. Where am I? He cried. Where am I? Lie still, said the doctor. You have had a heart attack. Lie still. But I haven't finished my appeal, uh, Mr. Duff said. Take me back. Take me back. I must finish my appeal. Lie still, said the doctor again. You will go back at the peril of your own life. Lie still. But in the spite of the protests of the physician, the old warrior struggled to his feet. And with the doctor on one side and the moderator of the assembly on the other side, he again mounted the steps of the pulpit platform, and as he did so, the entire assembly rose to do him honor. Then when they were seated, he continued to his appeal, and this is what he said. When Queen Victoria calls for volunteers for India, hundreds of young men respond. But when King Jesus calls, no one goes. Uh, is it true, he asked to complete silence, that the fathers and mothers of Scotland have no more sons to give for India? Again, there was silence, no, no, no response. Very well, he concluded. Then, aged though I am, I'll go back to India. I can lie down the banks of the Ganges River, and I can preach the gospel. And I can die there and let the people of India know that at least one man from England cared enough about them to give his life for them. At that statement, he began to leave, and all of a sudden, hundreds of young men poured the altar and we're surrendering to serve God in the mission field to India. Now, I want, we think about that and this matter of the tree of carelessness. Carelessness for the hopeless. You know, I'm a young, I consider myself young still. I'm 36 years old. I mean, I've grown up in here since I was 14 years old. And uh, I mean, I still consider myself young, but there are some troubling things that I see sometimes where it seems like young people, they want the more of this world they want more of what the world has to offer. They want more of what the government has to offer. They'll, they'll surrender to serve God through this or that. But when it comes to being a missionary, when it comes to being a preacher, when it comes to just serving God with their life, it's almost like you're trying to cast a spell on them. I mean, they look at you like, no, 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 don't you dare ask me to do that. And friend, let me remind you here, where is our care for the lost? 
Where is our care for those that are hopeless? You see, carelessness for the hopeless is what is destroying our churches. Carelessness for the hopeless is what is destroying Christians' lives. Oh, uh, we, we put so much emphasis on the bottle, and we should. We put so much emphasis on immorality, and we should. We put so much emphasis on the sword, and we should. But what about that tree of carelessness? There was this poem called The Voice from Hell. And, uh, man, it was such a convicting poem. You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, and tears. A friend to me you were indeed, a friend who helped me when in need. My faith in you was strong and sure. We had such trust as should endure. No spats between us ever rose. Our friends were like, and so our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find that after all you weren't so kind. The day my life on earth did end, I found you weren't a faithful friend. For all those years we spent on earth, you never talked of the second birth. You never spoke of my lost soul and of the Christ who'd make me whole. I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my least desire. You cannot do a thing for me. No words today my bonds will free. But do not err, my friend, again. Do all you can for souls of men. Plead with them now quite earnestly, lest they be cast in hell with me. Now, we've got to get to a place where we get our care for people again. We've got to get to a place where we realize that people without the gospel are going to die and go to hell. We've, we've, we've fantasized hell. We've we, we've lowered the, the, the terribleness of hell in our own minds, and I don't know why we've done that, but because uh, we're not going there. I hope not, but I hope you're not going there. But, uh, you know, because we're not going there, it's almost like we've kind of put the, the terribleness of it out of our minds. But don't forget that people each and every day, your neighbor, the neighbor that works next to you, the coworker, uh, the neighbor that uh, works next to you across the street, uh, other neighborhoods nearby. Your neighbor is anybody that lives near you. What about our fellow countrymen? They're our neighbors. What about other countries around us? They're our neighbors. What about even countries on the other side? You see, we can get there in so, in so short a time nowadays, two, three hours. We could call the whole world our neighbors for the truth of the matter because America has such impact and America has such influence. Are we going to let our neighbors go to hell? All because... Well, we wanted to earn the dollar, which, you know what? God's crashing and burning right now. And uh, God is destroying everything that we've focused on. Why? Perhaps because we've been taken out by the tree of carelessness. Uh, another thing is the tree of carelessness for himself, a Christian. When you get to the point where you, you've been destroyed by that tree of carelessness, you get very careless about yourself. I don't care what I do. I'm going to live this way, and I don't care. I'm going to do this, and I don't care. Uh, sad. What's happened? You've gotten taken out by a tree of carelessness. Number three, uh, the tree of compromise. The tree of compromise. Uh, another tree you got to watch out for, Christian, is the tree of compromise. You ever hear the story about the man uh, who could not decide which side he wanted to fight for during the Civil War? Uh, he put on the coat of the North. He put on the pants of the South. And guess what? He got shot at by both sides. Uh, now, I, I mean, I, I, since, since I have to hear this all the time, let me just say this. If he would have just put the uniform on of the North, he would have been victorious. And, uh, you know, uh, the South will rise again. Yes, the North will put him back down, too, uh, again. And, uh, man, I'm, nah, man, everyone's tuned me out now. And, uh, but uh, compromise is like standing in the middle of the road. Uh, you're going to get hit by traffic from both sides. And you know what? We've... 
we don't emphasize this enough. Because again, we've, ha- we've grown up so much with, our, with hearing preaching on the bottle and hearing preaching on the drugs and hearing preaching on this list of things that rightly so need to be focused on and need to be preached against. But what about the compromise? Because you know what? Nobody gets to the bottle without there being a little bit of compromise, without there being uh, hit by the tree of compromise. And too many Christians want Christianity and worldliness all together and at the same time. But the Bible reminds us in the book of Proverbs that an unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Now, it would be a good thing for every Christian to be reminded of that, you know what God is saying there? Christians and the world, the righteous and the unrighteous, they go together like oil and water. He's saying right here, that the unjust man is an abomination to the just. You know, uh, you got the Christians, those that are saved, they're trying to live right. And you take even a Christian person that's, that's trying to live worldly. The Christians are going to look and say, what is wrong with that guy? What is he doing? Stay away from him. He's, he's, he's trouble. He's bad news. He's heading the wrong direction. While meanwhile, the world over here is also looking at that Christian that's starting to compromise and saying, what is he doing? What is he think? He thinks he's one of us. What is he doing? And where do we get to the place where we think that, hey, I can be like the world, and I can act like the world, and I can dress like the world, and I can talk like the world, and I can uh, do what the world does, and everything's okay. No, I'll tell you what's happened. You took your eye, you were watching the swords, and you, you got lifted up in pride. You said, hey, I got this. I don't have to worry about nothing. And you took your eyes off of that tree, that tree of compromise. You see, why are we trying to appease our flesh and appeal to the world by compromising Bible principles. I like what Brother Gray says, and I don't know if you've heard him say it, but he says this. He says, don't lower your standards for those who refuse to raise their standards. Don't lower your standards for those who refuse to raise their standards. We are so obsessed with fitting in with this world. We are so obsessed with being cool. And it was a great day. I mean, again, in my head, I'm still 21. Uh, I look in the mirror, and I'm like, man, you're getting some what do you call those little wrinkles on the edges here? And uh, obviously I'm losing my hair. And, uh, you know, now and I'm, I'm hurting from camping. Um, but in my head, I'm still 21. But you know, it was a great day in my life where I realized that, you know what? I never was cool. I'm never going to be cool. And so why am I trying to be cool in this world? Why? I- I'm never going to fit in because I'm not of this world. Uh, I've been saved, I've been born again, and and if I have been, which I have, then there's something different about me. The world will never accept me. It don't matter if I go down to the mall, it doesn't matter if I hop on Amazon, or wherever you get all your stuff, and I buy the coolest pants, and I buy the coolest shirt, and I buy the coolest ride, and I I, I buy the coolest hat, and I, I listen to the coolest music. It doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter where I go, it doesn't matter what I hang out with, or who I hang out with, I will never, as a Christian... Be cool in this world. And you know what we've got to realize here? A lot of Christians, and resulting in a lot of churches, are destroyed. Why? The tree of compromise. Oh, what's the big deal? I I mean, if I'm going to reach people, i I got to be, you know, i got to fit in with them a little bit. they got to think I'm cool. No, they don't. They're not looking for a cool friend. they got plenty of that. Uh, They're looking for someone uh, who knows the Bible, looking for someone who's willing to be bold. And this world's bold about what they believe. Oh, they don't, they don't care. Like, they'll tell you tomorrow, I went out drinking. And they boast about it. Yet we're afraid to say, I went to church. And because we're afraid, oh, they're going to think I'm not cool. Newsflash, you're not cool. 
uh, that passed you a long time ago, most of you. Uh, but even if you're young, you're not cool. Uh, guys, you're not cool. You never will be. Uh, so get that established. Uh, the tree of compromise. A lot of people have been hit by that tree of compromise, and they're wondering, but I stayed away from alcohol, and I stayed away from drugs, and I stayed away from immorality, and I stayed away from all this. Why is my life the way it is? You had your eye on the sword, and you forgot about the sticks. You forgot about that tree of compromise. Number four, and I'll be done, the tree of complaining. The tree of complaining. You know, the Bible reminds us, do all things without murmurings. Uh, we've grown up in such a blessed land that gas goes to $4, and what happens? Oh, we're complaining about everything. You know, uh, I, I don't like it like anybody else does. But you know what? I, I, did, I did promise myself, I'm not going to complain about this garbage. I, I never have been one to complain about gas prices, food prices, whatever. You know, uh, you, know, you, know you, you deal with a lot of money. You get to the point where you realize it's a tool, and God sends it, and God takes it away. God always provides. God sends it in the strangest of ways, and God provides in the strangest of ways that only he gets the glory. And uh, when you realize that, you know what? Uh, a lot of Christians have gotten away from the fact that God controls everything. The book of Revelation tells us how God up in heaven, it tells us in the last days that they'll, they'll, they'll pay a day's wages for grain and all this. Now, notice who's the one saying that. That is God. We sometimes say, oh, that's man saying that. No, no, no. Uh, touch not the oil and the wine and uh, a penny, a day's wages for this. That is God himself saying that up in heaven. And we've got to remember here, God controls the prices. God made it cheap, and God can raise it up. You want to know why God may raise it up? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not God. But maybe because we were depending on so many other things for why it was cheap. And God says, okay, I'm going to raise it up. I'm going to put you to the test. Do you really believe that uh, give no thought for the morrow? What thou shalt eat, what thou shalt drink, what thou shalt wear. Uh, I'm going to really see if you believe and have faith in trusting me. And you know, all the while we're going around. Oh, man, it cost me 50 bucks to fill up my tank. Oh, okay, I'm not happy about that either. Uh, and we, we, we start bashing and we start bashing all this. God's the one that allowed it. And is God, can God not send the funds? So we might have to cut out some things. So we might have to redirect some funds. So we might not be able to enjoy the luxuries of life as much as we used to. But I'll tell you this, people in Ukraine and people all over the place would still rather be a beggar and a homeless man here than where they are. Meanwhile, we're like the children of Israel. We're walking around and we're moaning and complaining about the manna that God's given us. We're complaining about this, and we're complaining about that. And God up in heaven is like, man, they've just gotten taken out by the tree of complaining. You see, we've got to be very careful. We have lived such blessed life, lives that we complain about the littlest things. The, the, the littlest uncomforts of life, the insecurities of life, the, the fact that we actually, are, our faith is going to be tested. We complain. And you know what? We've forgotten that God is in control. God can send us the funds we need. God knows how much it costs to fill your car. God knows how much your teenagers eat. God, I mean, man, I got a four-year-old and a, and a six-year-old, and man, they both are eating like teenagers. I'm afraid of what they're going to look like when they are teenagers. And, um, you know, 
But uh, God knows that it, what it costs to feed your family. God knows that, that things cost money. God knows what the housing market is right now. God knows the price of things. I think God up in heaven is saying, hey, you focus on the sword a little too much. How about you start focusing on those trees like you focus on the swords? And how about you just trust me? I know what's going on in this world. I know what you're facing as a Christian. And I promise I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. So how about you just trust me? Stop being like the nation of Israel, complaining about how I provide and when I provide. And how about you just walk by faith and not by sight? So friend here today, I want to just be reminded here, verse number eight, the Bible says this, for the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. You know, to our human mind, that's hard to fathom. How in the world can a tree kill more people than a sword? Uh, that's like saying, you know, a tree killed more people than a machine gun. I mean, we'd say, you're crazy. Get out of here. Hey, God said it. I wasn't there, and I just, you know, I read that. And I had to believe it, just like you do. God said it. And so, you know, I think God's trying to teach us a lesson here that don't always get so focused on those swords that you say, ah, what's the big deal about this? This is a little thing. It's not that big of a deal. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It was that little AI. It was that little sin of Achan. It's the little things in life that, you know what, usually get us because we're focused on the big. Oh, Satan's swinging that sword again. Better watch out. Bam, we nail a tree. Oh, here comes that, that lost world. Uh, they're, they're swinging their swords again, and we, we better run from it. Bam, we nail the tree, and it kills us just like as if we got hit by that sword. So Christian, can I remind you here today, challenge all of us here today, hey, yes, watch out for the sword. I'm not saying not, but also watch out for the sticks. Watch out for those trees, those trees that'll do just as much damage as a sword can. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for 